So I'm going to ask that um, the brothers would be patient with me in the back as I'm patient with them. I want to talk to you about God setting the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. Joby, would you look at where that reference is for me? That's what I felt in my heart while they were praying for me because so often in our lives we feel like we're alone, that we don't have people that understand us. But the church is meant to be that. The church is meant to be our family, and it's meant to be our place of camaraderie. How many know that what the gangs do in sin is actually from a good desire of their heart to have a family and to fight for right what they believe in? How many know that? Right? Most sins are deviations from things that are good. Think about what perversion is. It's a, it's a duplicate of the right version. Does everybody get that? Amen. So what gangs do when they get together is they get around a common cause, they get around a brotherhood, and they live and die for each other. Now, of course, they can betray each other and so forth, but they have a longing in their heart for family. Most young men and women who joined gangs didn't, weren't a part of a family. You can look at the statistics that those in fatherless homes, that's why I love seeing our fathers here with their children, when you look at the statistics of those who come from fatherless homes, the rate of suicide, the rate of crime, the rate of dropping out of high school is so high and the joining of a gang. But what we see in this culture is that they're longing for belonging. Somebody say longing for belonging. Thank you. And what we see is that they don't want to go to the church because they feel that the church has too high of a moral expectation. And so I don't know if you've heard of them, but there are actually atheist churches out there. Has anybody heard of them? You can look them up. They're actually there, and they're trying to imitate what we have here. You've heard of gangs. You've also seen clubs. That's another imitation. That's a longing for belonging. That's a perversion of the original version. Not saying all dancing and hanging out with your friends is wrong, but you know most clubs today are sinful. And then when you look at friendships that people develop over lives, your BFFs, your besties, there's a longing there for them to do something for you. But if they're not a Christian, if they don't have God first in their life, they're going to let you down. How many have realized that Christians are the best friends? Now, Christians can let you down too, but how many know you would rather be let down by a Christian than somebody in the world? I have fights in the church. That's okay, but they don't want to jump me outside in the parking lot, okay? I mean, you, you can have enemies in the church, but it goes to a whole nother level when you're in the world, okay? So I'll take my enemies and my frenemies in church any day, okay? But here's the thing. It's all a perversion of the original version, and even now today with the same-sex couples and the uh, transgenderism, they just don't want to be by themselves. They want to do that to be in a family. They want to switch roles, and then they want to adopt children when they can't have them biologically. In other words, most people don't want to be alone. When you see somebody that likes to be alone, I'm not talking about just the personality of an introvert. When you talk to somebody that likes to be alone in the sense of no one caring for them, no one around them, they have either been deeply hurt in relationship and they're trying to fill that void with their own loneliness because I won't hurt myself, or they are in a deep, dark depression where they don't know how to get out of it. I've had people that I know and love Tell me stories about those going into deep depression where they can't leave their bed. They don't want anyone around them, even though they know part of, in their mind, they know that somebody loves them. They know their family loves them. My one friend went to go pastor at a church. 
He was a successful evangelist. And when he came to that church, they turned on him so quick. They were so mean to him and his family that they had to leave town and his wife couldn't leave bed for a month, okay? He knew or she knew that people loved her. She knew that her husband loved her. She knew that God loved her, but she was in such a dark place from the hurt that she had experienced as a pastor from the people of God that she couldn't leave her bed. So generally, people who are in isolation are there either because of a choice in the sense of they have been so hurt by others, they're just done with it, or they are mentally in anguish. But no one of their own self wants to be there. In other words, it's not a place of desirability. Adam right now is in New Orleans with Pastor Troy. Keep him in prayer. And he's putting up these pictures of these witches and all that they're doing in New Orleans. Could you just imagine what that's like right now, living in New Orleans, already a place of voodoo and witchcraft during Halloween, you know, just let all the the nuts out, right? And uh, they're doing their nutty thing. But notice this. As you look at his pictures, if you follow him on Instagram, none of them are alone. All the witches are together dressed up as witches, all the warlocks, all the vampires. They do it in community. And I want you to understand this. Church is the answer for that community. If at any time you think to yourself, the answer to that is God and God alone, you have missed what God set up for us. God made us for physical family relationships, and to have those families dwell with other families. The first community that God built was the church. The family of Adam and Eve were to be in his church and then to then have children that would have other children and dwell upon the earth in God's church. And believe it or not, it's coming back to this earth. The kingdom of God, another way of saying that is God's church. When the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, how many know they're having church right now in heaven? Church, iglesia, uh, ecclesia, and iglesia in Spanish. I went to Greek there. I mean, I went to Spanish before Greek. Everybody say iglesia. Everybody say ecclesia. See, they're similar. The church simply means the called out gathered ones. They're called out. They're going from one place to another place to gather. The the first humans were called out out of the dirt to come gather with God. And they were there supposed to be a part of that congregation and to dwell on earth with God. But they sinned. And so what does salvation do? Salvation restores us back to God. And what is the kingdom of God? It's God's church. It's God's congregation. It's the congregation of God coming down from heaven to dwell on earth. And so now think of it like this. If you were the devil or you were the trickster or having to deceive, where would you attack God the most on this earth? His church. And you would attack the family so if you can break down the family, you can break down the church. And then the church won't be a representation of Jesus on the earth anymore. And isn't that what's going on in our generation? When we even just saw during the COVID time, the ones that they fought against the most was the churches. The churches were the number one targets on their radar because they know if they can control the church, they can control the society. But when the church took its rightful place and rebelled, not against science and good health, but rebelled against tyranny, it was a light shining in the darkness. And it's the same thing with what's going on in our generation, not just in the things of the obvious nature like COVID, but in the way people think about the church. 
I just spoke to a lifelong pastor. His name's Pastor Ron. He's been in my life since I've been a child. We've been playing phone tag. I finally got to meet with him yesterday on the phone, and lo and behold, my dad calls, so I put him on the three-way. That's just what I like to do, so I just put people on the phone, so I answer with others in the, the conversation. TJ and others know this. And then lo and behold, Lawrence calls me, and then I put him in there, and then we're all here. And what I began to notice just within a few moments is that the generation I used to look up to and that had set this standard is soon to pass. And that there's now a baton coming to my generation, the Xers, and then it's going to come to the millennials and so forth. But as this man was talking to me, it wasn't as if he's 76 now. He's been pastoring for over 50 years, 50 years married, beautiful uh, life man of God. And he's handed the church over to some great leaders, and now he works with church planners. What I noticed is that there was nothing he was saying to me that was profound in the sense of, I haven't heard it before. Everything he was saying to me were things that I had heard before. For example, I wrote down one of them so I wouldn't forget because I hadn't talked to him since COVID. And the thing that he had said to me, I had heard many times before, but I wanted to write it down because I wanted to remember that he had said it. And speaking of COVID and all that the country went through, he said, what God could have prevented by his power, he permitted by his wisdom for an end-time revival. Now, I've heard that a hundred times, but here's something unique that I haven't heard. I haven't heard a 76-year-old man who's been faithful to his wife for 50 years in the church say it. See, what that means is he's not saying it as a buzzword. He's not saying it as something because everybody else is saying it. He's saying because of his life and the history of God's faithfulness, this is true. And I began to think to myself, what power and authority we have in the cloud of witnesses. Would you open up another tab there just so people can see it? In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says in verse 1, Therefore, seeing we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We're supposed to be encouraged by the witnesses who have gone before us and the elders who are among us now. Amen? And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so like I said, I've heard that before, but to hear it from a man that's 76 with 50 years of faithfulness. In other words, I've never heard it from a man running that long in the race. So with someone running the race a little bit longer than me is saying the same kind of things that I'm saying, there's something there. God is speaking. And then when Lawrence got on, I said to him, I said, here you have one of our young men. He's tent making with the church. We felt a need to start up some businesses for these guys. So we're starting first with Lawrence so they can have employment. After COVID, it told us that, you know, the world doesn't care about us. So we need to come up with opportunities. That's why I went and assisted him in his desire to want to make these clothes. And I got a little excited and started making kingdom brand clothes. But it's really to do custom printing for whoever needs it. And I said, what would you say to Lawrence? And Lawrence was there on the phone. And he said, I want you to know you're a part of a legacy and a lineage, a genealogy of men and women of God that go well beyond where you are right now and what you can see. There were people that have come before you that have done this, and they've handed the baton over. 
And it's up to you what you do with it. Now, going back to that passage of setting the, the lonely in families, what now we have to decide in this generation is how we're going to interact with the church. Holding that place there before I get to that, that's the main one the Lord spoke to me, and I'm getting others as I'm up here. Open up Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. I had got this in the back, and I didn't know how it would fit in, but I see now the Lord put this in my heart and, and put it in the King James, please. The reason why it's so important to understand your longing for belonging and to not be discouraged by what's going on in our nation, but to see that God is preserving his church is because in the end times, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 10 and onward, one of the signs of the end times is that many shall be offended. Offense will be the language of a generation that sees Christ come back at the rapture. Offense is the, is, is the deception and the bait of Satan to get us to betray one another. This does not mean we will always agree with each other. This doesn't mean we won't have strong arguments. All families do. But we ought not to be offended with each other to the point of betrayal and then to hate. Notice it in the King James. And then many will be offended shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Now you may say, well, Pastor, you're speaking only about our church and what we go through. Listen, baby, it's not just us. It's every pastor I talk to. Every pastor I talk to says, in the last two years, they've been betrayed more, they've been hated more, and they have dealt with more offended Christians than they ever have in their whole life. Something was loosed over our nation during the time of COVID and BLM that put people against their pastors, put people against leadership. I think partially it was deserved. The leaders had hid behind the pulpits for so long they had no voice. And the people out of anger wanted more from their pastors. But it's not just only those pastors that were bad pastors needing to be rebuked, though not deserving betrayal and hate and that kind of an offense. But it was also the good pastors because they had to begin to take in those who were leaving the churches of those that weren't standing up. And then they had to begin to endure the affliction of those who don't know the order of their house, don't know the manners of the house. I have a house when you come in, you take off your shoes. Anybody have a house like that? How many know when guests come in with the shoes, the kids look at them weird? Dad, look, 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 Dad. Look, look right, look right there. Somebody got their shoes on. And I'm like, just relax, just relax. We'll tell them in just a little bit. And then sometimes we decide whether or not we will. We look at their shoes and go, okay, that, we'll let them in, you know. Others, I'm like, no, you better take off those shoes. Um, but they want, it, they want to make sure, they, do, they, do they know? Do they know? Hey, do they know how we do this here? You know, because uh, a lot of people don't know how you do things. And what I began to understand as a pastor, as I saw this as a, as a trend, and my other pastor friends saying the same thing, is that during this time, those who were right in one thing can be wrong in another thing. Let me give you an example. I looked up this man, and God just put it on my heart to check in on him. I don't know if you remember him, but his name was Dana. And I will say his name because he put himself out there. He was a pastor, white guy, I think, in Kentucky, red shirt, Two years ago, he gave a prophecy that in November we were going to get invaded by Russian and Chinese soldiers. Anybody remember that? My wife sent it to me because she believed it. Get ready, honey. It's time. It's time. And so I went back and I checked in on that dude. 
And people underneath there, you know what they're saying? Oh, it wasn't that November. It's this November, the 20, uh, 2022 November, and everyone's trying to cover up for him. You see, I remember during that time trying to help my brothers and sisters and saying, hey, everybody's saying they got a word now ought not to be listened to and followed. But I saw people follow words like that. I had to guard my own wife from words like that. And, of course, the non-Pentecostals, they, they, you know, the Presbyterians, they come back and make fun of us. Hey, look at all you Pentecostals. You said Trump was going to do this. You said this was going to happen at this time. And then now we have to explain it, right? And it makes us look foolish in some sense. But you know what I noticed during that time is that people oftentimes wanted conspiracy and superstition more than they wanted the Word of God. And I began to get a little bit cautious in my heart with some of those folks because I began to think to myself, that's not how we win a battle. That's not how we go to war. We don't go with Nerf swords. Are you listening? We go with real swords. That's why when I hear you guys preaching the things that I've taught you in this church, I don't just sit back and listen to you and say, oh, that's cute. I am ready for one of the professors who are just walking by that day with their degree in what you just tapped on because I believe it will stand that test. Not some silly little meme that's going to make you embarrassed now when an expert walks by and said, who told you that? Because I've heard them throughout my church years. Matter of fact, I won't name this name because he was gracious enough to write me back, but he's one of the most popular teachers right now. It was when Facebook was just new, and we were able to communicate with each other. You know, I'm a nobody, just telling everybody about a somebody named Jesus, but this brother just started, you know, we were corresponding. He's one of the most popular teachers right now, and he sent me one of his books, and I was reading it, and one of his books said something that other preachers have said, that basically... There's more people on the planet now than have ever lived in the entire world. So if you took all the years of the human population, added them up, it would be less than 7 billion. And I've heard that a lot from preachers who say that this, pop, this generation is the number one generation that's ever been on the planet. Now, we're the biggest, but they would say we're more than the, the world before, all the, uh, the people on the, that's lived on the earth. Okay, and I corrected him, and I wrote him, and he never wrote me back after that. See, I lost a relationship. Because I said that to him. He got upset with me. There was another pastor couple that came over to our house. And you know, we uh, believe alcohol in moderation. And we were drinking together with them. And they said, in my denomination, it's okay to drink. Because I always ask pastors that to honor them. Is it okay in your denomination to have alcohol with me right now? And they said, yes. I found out that it wasn't true. And they stopped being my friend because they knew that I caught them in a lie. You see, I found out early on in ministry, and it's been proven true all throughout ministry, that you can't build relationships and you can't build churches on people who are willing to compromise and people who are willing to lose their integrity. All that glitters is not gold. And so what I began to realize is that even during this season is that offense may have some truth in it. People may get offended at this church, that church, not like that thing going on over there, and there may be truth in it, but the Bible says to be warned against a spirit of offense. You see, there are churches here that I don't agree with everything that they do, but when I see our members over there, I ask them to submit, to be a part of that leadership, and to serve them. Some of them are not allowed to come back to our church, and they keep using that pastor to come back to me and say, can we come back? They, one time they said during Christmas they wanted the best gift to come back to Metro Praise. And I was like, no, you're not coming back. But I want you to listen to me. I still work with those pastors because I don't have a spirit of offense towards them, even though they've done me wrong, even though that I don't believe everything they teach. Are you listening? Now I'm going to make it personal towards you going back towards that scripture. 
You have to ask yourself, do I want to be a part of a family? The scripture that talks about the family is the place where we belong. And the lonely will not go to a family unless they come the right way. This scripture says he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, a God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God won't make you do it, but you won't be brought in unless you let him, and you have to want it. And I began to think about that while these brothers and sisters were praying for me. Because I have had so many opportunities as a pastor to walk away from what is happening here. And yet God has told me, this is your family. Family is not necessarily something you choose. Family is something you're obligated to be loyal to. Now, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about any of that. But I didn't get to choose my sister, who was a functioning alcoholic, who my mother just saw on this last trip here and said, pray for Lisa. So everyone who thinks of me, pray for my sister because she's doing bad. My sister's the kind of alcoholic that when she gets drunk, she blacks out. And so my mother found her blacked out. And my sister's old enough to be my mom. She's almost like 60-something. And I tell you my personal business to show I didn't choose that. But I have to determine how I'm going to love her. Now, that doesn't mean she can come around any which way, but I have to be loyal to my sister and to pray for her deliverance, amen? And how many know it's never too late? But she's not going to bring alcohol around my house, and I'll never drink in moderation with her, okay? My sister got drunk one time, and she crossed over Highway 59 and got hit by a car. We thought we lost her because I've already lost my other sister drinking and driving, and she suffered brain damage, okay? I'm telling you, you have to see family as someone you stick with even if you don't love them, even if you got to call the cops on them, even if you have to visit them in jail. Are you listening to me? How much more so should we stick with God's people? There is a time now that they want to make pastors, listen to me, the generation that you're a part of, the culture you're a part of, the entertainment industry, because every time they portray a pastor, he's either some closeted homosexual or he's an abuser. You know what I'm talking about? Like one of my favorite shows, Parks and Rec, they have this couple there that always wants to be the Christian couple doing things, and the man is a closeted homosexual. Not here, Jack. Get me on that show. Amen? I'll be funny with you because I'm more like Ron than I'm like that dude. But that's how they portray the Christian. He's a closeted homosexual or he's some abusive person that's got dark skeletons in his closet. And they want you to think about the church as some place that's going to manipulate you, that's going to take from you, and maybe rightly so others have done that. But I want to testify to you the church is a place for you to belong and to have a family. Do you know why God gave me this scripture just, you know, during that time of prayer? Is because this was his word for me. I was one of those that was choosing to be alone as a part of the pain that I had been through in my teenage years. I remember being a skateboarder and being picked on in my neighborhood. And they said to me, this is, what my, this is how crazy my friends were. My friends for fun one day said, hey, let, Joe, let's go skateboarding. Meet us at the tunnel. And so I skate over there, and I'm ready to hang out and meet him at the tunnel. And I'm looking around, and I can't see any of my friends. But then finally I see him over there. And I'm like, oh, maybe they're not here yet. But then I notice, like, they're, like, telling me to come to them. So I start coming to them, and then they start running. You know what the game was that day? Is run from Joe. Okay? I used to hang out with older kids. 
I understand what it's like to get held down, spit in your face, okay? And this kind of feeling torn, turned towards my rebellion because I was a rebellious person. It turned into my rebellion to treat all kinds of people that way. So I didn't have close friends. So getting picked on being young, even though I came from a great family, I got picked on being young, manipulated by the older people. I would do crimes because I was hanging out with these older guys. I wanted to fit in. And then over time, I just wanted to be by myself. Not suicidal, praise God, but I just wanted to be by myself. And then I treated people that same way. The longest relationship that I ever had with a girl before I was a Christian was a few weeks, but I had sex with multiple people. The longest friendship that I had was for a few years, but they would steal from me and I would steal from them. We weren't really friends. And so when I became a Christian... I understood that Jesus was Lord of my life and he, was come, he had come into my heart and changed me, but I didn't know what it was like to be in a family. I had been so rebellious towards my parents, who actually were a good family for me, that when we started living together after I had dropped out of high school at 16, living on my own, we couldn't get along. And so, not that I had to run away, but I would leave my parents' house as a Christian oftentimes because we were in fights and we couldn't get along. But by the time I went to Bible college, I had enough sense to, to, you know, by God's grace, to understand I couldn't do this alone. But within a few months of Bible college, those professors annoyed me and offended me so much that I rebuked all of them, and I was sat down by them, and I was told to either submit or I had to leave. And you know what I did? I left because I felt I knew more than them. And you know what's sad about this is that every stage of my life, I've seen people agree with me. There were people that were in agreement with me to treat my parents the way that I was because they didn't understand. There were people in agreement with me to leave the Bible college because they're stupid anyway. You're smarter than more anointed than them. But there was always something that God was doing in my heart through either one or two individuals that I can point to that they were speaking to me and being a voice of reason. When I think about my time with my friends, the other friend's house, I mean uh, with my parents, the friend's house that I would go to to spend the night when I would leave were other Christians in our church. And they would say, Joe, your parents love you. It's just you and your mom were both Italian and you don't talk, you only yell. <laughs> and you guys need to forgive each other because you had a lot of hurt from your past. Trauma, you know, call it now. And you need to work through it. And so a couple days after them praying for me, I would go back home and we would work through it. Do you know that I kicked my mom out of my house even as a pastor? My mom and I have always had a stressful relationship. It's not only the last maybe 10 years that we've gotten along because of the trauma and how we've mistreated each other. But I would always have someone in my life that would say, you need to stick with this. You don't want to walk away from this. My brother hasn't talked to my mom in over like 10, 15 years. My other brother, I mean my, uh, my brother from their marriage, my mom's first marriage, who's also drugs, alcohol. He's old enough to be my father. Hasn't talked to his mom, my mom, for many, many years. So I would always have people agree with me and say, oh, you can walk away from this. You can leave this family behind. You can leave this church behind. You can leave this Bible college. But there would always be voices that would call me to stay. I remember in Bible college, it was Brother Anthony. And so when I felt the Lord at that gas station, as I tell the story, I always say it was a good, you know, people ask you how you're doing, I would always say it's a good day with Jesus. But that day when I had left the Bible college, just after a few months, I couldn't look someone in the eye and say it's a good day with Jesus because I was so full of hate and anger towards what they had did to me. But that day the Lord said, if you leave here, I leave you. I went back. And you know who was walking in the dorm room? The moment I go back and I'm going to make a call, I'm going to apologize, you know who's walking there right down the hallway? It was Brother Anthony. And he said, you know what? 
I could kick you out because of how you behave now. I could, I could, you know, make you come back in another semester, but I want you to stay because you need this. You need a family. You need a place to belong. And then after that, I'm not saying that we got along and everything. I'm not saying I agreed with everything that they did, but I understood one thing. Families now stick together. And in that Bible college, I began to learn what family looked like to the point that when people would come to me, because they always know who to go to, birds of like feathers like to flock together, don't hang out with chickens, hang out with eagles, they would always come to me and they would say, Joe, you know, I, I heard about your situation with the, with the Bible college. I also feel this X, Y, and Z. You know what I would tell them? Don't talk to me about that. You know why? Because God has called me here. These people are precious to me, and I'm on their side, and I'm not on your side. I'm on their side because God told me to be here. you got to pick sides, by the way. Some people are like, I'm not on anybody's side. No, you have to pick sides. I'm on the side of my family. Don't mess with my family. Amen? I'm on the side of this church. Don't mess with my church. So I would say to them, you have a problem, you talk it over with them. I'm on their side. I trust them. And I began to then grow in my ministry, and eventually I became the youngest student in Bible college to become a pastor. My very friends had to start calling me pastor at that Bible college. The very fun friends that would come to me, want to get in trouble with me, had to start calling me pastor. Within a few years, I graduated, worked on staff, became the first student that was a professor. Here's a student that now is not just a pastor. He's also our professor and was the first student to start a campus here in Chicago. Do you understand how God used that relationship? But I, I said, do you understand how God used that relationship? But do you see if I would have quit on it, I wouldn't have had it. From the very beginning of that relationship, I saw people quit. The same kind of first trimester when I was wanting to quit, others quit, and I've never seen them since, and I don't think they're in ministry. You see, they quit at that time. Other situations that I went through in Bible college, one man was just like me. He was one year ahead of me. He was from the Bahamas. He was an awesome preacher, but he got offended, and he couldn't work it through. And therefore, he was not the pastor. He was not those things. Those things came to me because he gave those things up. And then a documentary was made. Listen to me. I want everybody to get this. A documentary was made from someone from England mocking healing evangelists. You've seen these things on, on YouTube probably. People mock how we pray for the sick. This man came from England and made a documentary, and this is what he said. He said, Christians are so stupid that I'll show you that I can pretend to be one of them, and not only will they accept me, they'll put me in their churches, and they'll claim that I've healed them. Okay, that's why I warn many of you from following charlatans and those who have false testimonies or those who are at least suspect. I do that from a heart to guard you, not because I'm jealous of your, you know, you going after that person. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I do that because I love you. I watched it happen with my friend. The documentary crew found him. My friend said he was a man of God and promoted him at a healing crusade. The man preached in the healing crusade. And then at the healing crusade revealed he was an atheist and wanted to show the gullibility of Christians. Now you say, why would you tell us that? Because my friend lacked spiritual discernment. I mark his life from the time he left that Bible college with offense and betrayal and hate towards good people. I'm not saying you stay loyal towards sin. Is everybody hearing that today? Never be loyal towards sin. Never keep confidence when someone's life is in danger. I'm not teaching that at all. I'm talking about being loyal to people who you love and who are doing their best. Can I hear an amen? Just want to be clear. The moment he was deceived to think those professors, those leaders were his enemy, he was now on a different kind of spiritual journey. 
what he thought was the Holy Spirit, what he thought he was listening to, gave him the okay and the affirmation to affirm an atheist and to say that was a man of God. How foolish do you have to be, my friends? See, the body of Christ, we lack discernment. We lack wisdom. And we do that to our own detriment because we've lacked true pastors and shepherds. We run after the hype and go after everything that glitters and we say, this is my father or this is my family, this is my spiritual mother. And we run after these things and so often people are willing to take us in just to use and abuse us. Guard your heart, brothers and sisters, because God's family is a place where you're going to always have to love and be gracious and be merciful. And you may not stick around here for long. You may be here for a short time. I always look at seasons, you know, as a book. Some of you may be a verse of Metro Praise, just one verse. Others of you may be a a chapter. Others of you may be a whole book. Others of you may be the whole covenant, okay? You, You see what I'm saying? There's verses, there's chapters, there's books, and then there's Old and New Testament. But you have to keep family. You have to do it. And this generation, they want to discourage you from that because you leave your gym to go to the next gym if it gives you a better deal. And I'm right there with you. You work out at Lifetime Fitness, it's $10.99, right? And you get five passes for your friends. And then all of a sudden you see the export one. It's $9.99 a month. Uh, And then you can bring a friend anytime you come. So now your daughter or your child can come with you for free. Oh, I'm leaving Lifetime and I'm going to, you know, to export. That's how people think of churches and relationships. Find the scripture for me where it says you have many instructors but few fathers. Brothers and sisters, hear my heart today. How you treat the church and how you treat loyalty towards the family of God is going to reflect in your spiritual maturity. My friend who committed adultery with his secretary had broken relationship with the church that he had come from and with the Bible college that he was raised up in. He was an open target for the enemy because the enemy doesn't care about the stupid stuff. You know, one man said to his wife, he said, you know what? He said, don't don't sweat the little stuff. And by the way, it's all little stuff. That man died of cancer, and his wife said that's one of the most endearing things she remembered of her husband is that you don't sweat the little stuff. And by the way, almost everything in life is little stuff. Listen to me. The devil will get you to sweat little stuff so that he can take you down where it really matters. Are you guys listening to me? Hear my heart in this. Hear this heart as a pastor who's been doing this for a while. The devil will get you offended with your wife over little stuff so he can get a divorce and have you an adulterer and your children grow up without your mom, their mom and dad. And it will start with little stuff in the marriage. Same thing, teenagers. When I left my parents' home at 16, it was little stuff. It was my mom and I just didn't get along. See, we don't have the same sense of humor. My mom and I, we don't have the same hobbies. We don't have, and so it was just the little, the little, you know, rubbing against each other all the time to where we couldn't be in the same house with each other. But see, the devil didn't care about that little stuff. He didn't care about the little annoyances. He wanted me out of my parents' house. Because he knew once I got out of my parents' house, then all the drugs could increase. All of the times that I was out could now increase. I could live as wild as I wanted to. 
So children, don't fall for the devil. If you have parents that love you, stay with them and listen to them. Amen? Same thing with the marriage. Well, we fight. We don't get along. It's better to fight with someone that you're married to than to fight with the chick you just met at the gym. She doesn't love you or the guy you just met. You're going to be broken in more ways you can understand. Stick with this and do it right. As they say, it's not greener over there. You just got to take care of the grass. The, the grass is not greener on the other side or at the other yard. You have to water the grass that you're in. Amen? Look at what Paul said here in verse uh, 15, in 1 Corinthians 4, 15. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. You see, this is the problem of our generation. It's fatherless spiritually, and it's fatherless in their own family. That's why when you look at my children, I tease and I say pray for them. I actually mean that because what's funny is that everybody says, I wish I knew my dad until your dad asks you to do 10 push-ups because you talked back at dinner. That's how I give my kids gym class. I said, oh, you know what? We can't remember to do it three times a week. Here's how you get gym class if you act up. And if they don't act up, then I'm like, well, just get out there and do it anyways. But you see, they, you know, you got, these young, you got these young girls in the youth group, you know. Well, I wish I knew my dad. I wish my dad went to church. Are you sure? Because we'll shut off Dr. Strange in the multiverse once I think that thing's demonic. That doesn't mean you have to think it's demonic. I shut it off when he possessed the zombie and the girl turned into the witch and all of that. I said, we're done with this. I don't have to watch this anymore. This has now got so stupid. I don't want to pay a cent for it. I'm glad I didn't. It was free on Disney, you know. But see, that's what a godly father does. A godly father says, we're done. The show's over. Go do something else now. See, everybody says, well, I want a good pastor. I want a good pastor. Well, you want one that's like a father? You want one that's not intimidated by you, not afraid of you, who actually loves and cares, you, cares for you and will speak his or her truth? Well, then you got to be a big boy or girl and deal with that then, don't you? And I was saying in the first service, you know, people, they leave because of their offense. Friends, if I left because of my offense, there would be no pastor here today. I would be a traveling hobo pastor trying to find that one person that agrees with me. Hey, do you agree with me in everything? Because then I'll pastor you. No, Joe, I disagree with you there. Well, I'm done with you. I'm moving to the next one. I would be a homeless hobo pastor. But you know what I had to learn as a pastor? I had to learn to overlook your silly Facebook post. I had to learn to overlook the brokenness of your marriage. I had to learn to look past your mistakes and still believe in your future because I'm loyal. But I wasn't always loyal. Listen to me. I wasn't always loyal. I was the kind of person that had to draw lines over things that were minimal. And if you wouldn't agree with me, I wouldn't be there with you. Now my heart gets broken because people do that to the church. And I used to be just as guilty as that, church hopping, trying to find some spiritual father. Oh, I want to be with Rod Parsley. Oh, well, Rod Parsley doesn't work out. Well, I want to go over here and do this. I remember getting books. Listen to this. I remember getting books from a man who lived in Columbia to read them, to study that when he would come and visit us, I could go and be with him. But there was no time because the church was so big. So I found out where he was in Miami, and I literally stalked him to drive there to go to Miami. Thank God the associate pastor was nice and took me out for lunch. You know what the, you know what the pastor said to me? He doesn't do that. Stop doing, stop looking for that. You're not going to get discipled by this guy. That's not what he does. <laughs> Took me to a nice Cuban restaurant, but he just told me honestly, it's not what this guy does. Leave him alone. So I left him alone. You guys understand what I'm talking about. I've been there. I've been there. I've been a part of churches and organizations where I'm the person waving my hands going, this is not going to end well, and they still march right off the cliff, and I've had to stick around and be loyal. 
I've been on both sides of it, and I'm telling you, what breaks my heart now is watching people break relationship and break covenant and, and not understand that fathers need to be in the house of God. Mothers need to be in the house of God. Because you can have a thousand instructors. You can listen to a thousand podcasts. You can buy a thousand books. But who's going to care for you tonight when you go home? Your earthly parents, right? Your family, those that you love. And then a church family that should care for you and be there for you. And now I want you to see this quickly in closing. Go to 1 Timothy with me. How many know there's a command for a holy kiss? We're going to do that with our family today. You all ready? So pucker up. We're doing it. No, I'm kidding. But you know there's a holy kiss in the Bible. You guys know about the holy kiss? Put on Wikipedia, holy kiss, because they have an artist's rendition of it. I'm going to blow your mind with what a holy kiss is. Can I show it to you? It's going to be PG, but look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, as they get ready to find that. Just go ahead and put it up for chapter 1, verse 1 there, and then please get the Wikipedia of the holy kiss. A longing for belonging. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son, in the what? In the faith. You see, Paul understood that there was a relationship that he had with Timothy that was worth maintaining. Each one of you here, listen to me, brothers and sisters. Please hear my heart in this. We have to get over ourselves and see what God is doing in a generation. When Brother Lawrence was testifying, it has to do also with his family. Listen to me, church-hopping parents. Listen to me. When you are a parent and you church hop with your child, who suffers more, you or that child? The child, because they don't know about God as much as you do. They don't have as many Christian friends as you do. They don't have those relationships as you do. That's why you have to ask God very seriously on what to do. We're praying through a situation right now with a family that's deciding on whether or not to have come back. They left during the COVID time, and the husband is praying and deciding about what to do. And the wife basically said, until you decide what to do, bring me here because I need to be in the church. It's not easy, my friends, when you try to find a movement that stands for holiness, righteousness, and discipleship. That's a holy kiss. Does anybody see where that holy kiss is happening? Make it a little bit bigger. They kissed each other on the lips. That artist's rendition is actually what they did. Now, trust me, we are not doing that here today. I'm not bringing that back. Bring back the holy kiss. Everybody wants to be biblical until we bring back the holy kiss. I only go by the Bible. Okay, pucker up and let's practice the Bible right now. Seriously. Well, is it weird? No weirder than anything that we do today. No weirder than the customs that we have today. But why was it so special back then to have a holy kiss? Why did that matter to these brothers and sisters that they would kiss each other and send that kind of love to each other? And find the reference in the New Testament. It's multiple scriptures, but I, I can't see one right now. But find one for me, please. Can I tell you why? Because they believed they were family. They believed they were family. Now, I don't kiss my son on the lips, so I'm not kissing you on the lips, okay? But I'm telling you, that's how they used to treat their family. 
And the household of God, when they said, greet one another with a holy kiss, you would kiss each other with holiness, men with men and women with women. And that, it's not homosexuality. There we go. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Can you greet somebody with a holy kiss when you're unholy towards them in attitude? Can I betray you with a kiss and be right in my heart? No, only Judas could do it because his heart was wrong. He betrayed with a kiss, did he not? And the proverb says, be wary of the kisses of enemies, but trust the wounds of a friend. Please give that proverb. Be weary of the kisses of enemies, but trust the wounds of a friend. Because if you really love someone, when you give them a holy kiss, you are their family. You don't hurt them and want harm for them. You take care of them. And so, brothers and sisters, I just urge you, as we get ready to close out this awesome service, and by the way, I will get to Hebrews 3 sometime soon, I want you to know how serious the church is and why we do what we do. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I'll go back to uh, the Corinthians one about the, um, the many instructors. Every journey of my life, God has sent me fathers and I could have been distracted by instructors. Instructors do not know you, and they don't know your calling. So they speak in general, and let's just assume the best. They don't want anything to manipulate you by. Let's just say they're a good instructor, but they don't know you in the way that a father or a mother does. And so in every season of your life, you have to be careful that you're listening to the fatherly voice through leaders who care and love for you and not just listening to a thousand instructors. Because let's take, for example, right now, if I was to do marriage counseling with someone in this church, let's say the Goveas or anyone else that I've known for years, don't you think my advice, my heart for them is going to be different than someone like Dr. Phil they just met yesterday, Right? Now, now, that person may have all the well intention for them, like, hey, like, here's a list of things I can give you as advice, and, and, you know, let me filter through some of the things you're going through. But there's a certain calling upon the, the, the relationship that has gone through a journey together and has longevity that sees to the heart of the matter. How many parents here think you see your kids better than your teachers do? How many parents here? I didn't get it loud enough, amen. You think parents, your teachers know the kids better than you do? I'm going to ask that question again. Come on, Presbyterians, help me out. Half T's, Pentecostals. How many parents here would say, my kids' teachers know my kids better than I do? No one would say that. How many agree, parents, that you know your children better than the teachers do? Right? That's what the Bible's saying. Make sure you just don't have instructors in your life. Because in every season of my life, I had instructors that were willing to agree with me. When I wanted to stay home and not go to Bible college, I had instructors, other pastors, that said, stay here, work with us, do this. You don't need to go to Bible college, stay right here. They were just mere instructors. They didn't have the heart that God had for me. They didn't see what my future was. They were seeing the benefit that they got from me. When I was in Bible college and I got offended at my professors, there were instructors around me that saw the same kind of issues and applauded that kind of behavior like, that's good for you to do that because you're more spiritual, you're more holy. 
And I've even watched those kind of people as they transcend into madness after that, like I said with my one friend. When I was starting this church and it was a battle about how to start it, where to start it, what city to start it in. And Brother Anthony said, start it here. I had, in Chicago, I had instructors, people around me that said, hey, just go over here and do X, Y, and Z or don't do ministry at all. Maybe you're not called. And so I had to check those voices. You and I are going to have a lot of instructors in life. A lot of people with good intentions, let's just say they have good intentions that are going to give us bad advice. That's why you have to find where you belong and begin to listen and to learn to what the Spirit is saying. And then when you do that, you'll have credibility to the next place that you go. Lawrence, would you come please? Because every time I see my friends or these people do that, I always ask myself, do the wrong thing. I always ask myself, what credibility do they have to the place that they lead? For example, a man says to his wife, submit to me, trust me. I know you don't see it the way I do, but I'm just asking you, trust me. How can that woman trust that man when that man doesn't trust his pastor? Right? Because the man says to his wife, trust me. I know you don't see this. I know you don't totally get it, but just trust me. How can that wife truly trust that husband when that husband hasn't trusted another man in his life? Are you guys listening? The same thing with my pastor friends. They go, well, you know, this, this uh, Bible college or these uh, churches, you know, they, they deserve this kind of betrayal. They deserve this kind of hate. It's not, you know, it's not that they don't deserve it. They deserve it. And then I ask them, what kind of fruit do you want to reap? When I was leaving the Bible college to go start my own ministry after only being there for a few months, the professor said to me, you reap whatever you sow. Joe, do you want a thousand like you wherever you're going now? Think about that. So I'm stomping off because these boots were made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. And one of these days, these boots are going to walk all over you. So I'm about ready to leave the Bible college, and the professor says to me, Joe, as you're about ready to go do ministry, because, you know, I wasn't going to go worship Satan. Joe, as you're about ready to go do ministry, do you want a thousand people like you in that ministry? A thousand people. That once things get tough in the family, they run off. That's how they are. Do you want a thousand like you? Because you can't reap what you don't sow, and you will always reap what you sow. So you can't reap loyalty and camaraderie unless you have sown loyalty and camaraderie. That's why in this ministry, they are loyal, and they have been for years and years and years. Which, by the way, I keep telling them not to do the appreciation, but they do it anyway, right? I tell them not to give me gifts, but they keep giving the gifts because I'm the opposite of that. You don't even know when our anniversary is for my wedding or for this church. You know why? Because I don't care and I don't need you to care. But the church always has people that do care. And they, and they get mad at me if I stop them. So I don't forbid it because then that would be even weirder, right? I forbid you. One time when I was working in New Orleans, I did that. They got so upset with me. They wanted to wish me a happy birthday. I got so mad with them because they surprised me. I'm like, don't ever do that. I don't like that, you know? And then they like got I hurt. And I was like, man, I hurt you. Okay, I'm sorry. You can surprise me if you want. Literally, I walked into a place and they all were shouting and hollering. I'm like, what are we doing here? I'm not even down with this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here right now. Honestly, I was the first one to leave my wedding. I was shaking people's hands on the way out of my wedding and people were like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm done. They're like, we're still hanging out, right? And I'm like, yeah, you stay as long as you want. I'm done. And it wasn't that I needed to get it on that bad. I was just done. Those of you who know me, 
I'm the guy who will catch you in a corner and we'll talk for the next two hours. I don't like big party gatherings. It's just not me. I'm the person that catches you in a corner. We'll talk and I'll, we'll talk for two or three hours. I'm that dude. It's just we all got personalities, right? But I had to learn. I'm in a body. I love celebrating people, putting them on the spot, having the Govea sit up here and do all that because I know they appreciate it and I want them to do it. But listen to me. People so often look at my life and they say, how in the world do you do this? Have people this loyal. We have a Bible college that graduates people that come to work with us for free and we have had headhunters. There are Christian headhunters, if you didn't know they're out there, that will hire these guys. It got to the point that our guys had to bring me in because they said, Pastor, this guy keeps offering me a youth pastor job for 50000 and I told him I don't want to do it, and he keeps writing and writing me, what should we do? So I had to go over there and say, dude, leave my guys alone. What are you reminding me of, of was some dirty old man looking at kids at the swimming pool? Oh, I like that one over there. Oh, she's pretty. She's pretty. Where, where, what's her name? And I'm like, you sicko, get away from him. I'm like, if they want to go work for so-and-so church, they can go work for so-and-so church. I remember telling one of my friends, he says, how many pastors do you have? I said, including our interns? Yeah, I said, about 15. How many are you running? 5,000? I said, no, just a few hundred. How in the world do you have 15? Well, we sent them to Bible college. Last year at Bible college, we said, make your choice where you want to serve, here or somewhere else. Each time except for two said we want to stay here. So here we go. I've had my friends mock me. What are you doing with all those pastors? Now are you going to do anything with them? I said, we're going to send them out. Now we got Dallas, Miami, and others. Come on. And they say, whoa, you must have done something. You must have done something. No, no, no. This is what I did. I loved them. Oh, you must have. Yeah, you must have did something. Yeah, I did something. I loved them. When I looked at them, I didn't see them for what they would do for me. I didn't put them into my internship to charge them $5,000 so I could show them how to stack chairs. I didn't treat them like my armor bearer to come carry my Bible everywhere I went. I showed them their destiny in Christ as God was giving it to me. As a father, I was seeing their future. And they can go anytime they want. But they choose to stay because it's a family. It's a family. And that's why a church like this always has the strength of the majority with us. And then people go, oh, well, they're just a bunch of yes people. No, they're not. You're just wrong. You're just wrong. Ten people have told you you're wrong because you're wrong. And then here's the thing. I want everybody to get this. I want everybody to get this. Most of the time, it's jealousy. When I talk to my friends who are on their third marriage, and they're like, yeah, you know, but marriage is really hard sometimes, right? And I'm like, well, I mean, I guess we've had some fights, but it's been awesome. No, no, no. I mean, I mean like, you, sometimes you wish you could, you, could, you could leave, right? And I'm like, no, actually, I don't. Well, then I guess you guys haven't been married long enough. We've been married 17 years. Well, I, I don't think you guys are being real with each other because, you know, you can't get along with somebody like that for that long and not want to leave them. I go, listen, dude, let me just, let's just break this down real quick. What you did was of the devil, and that's why you have the devil's testimony. What I did by God's grace was of Jesus, and that's why I have Jesus' testimony. See, you and I will never be alike. We're never going to talk about our marriage the same. We're never going to talk about our kids the same. Well, what if they get rebellious? I've already had rebellious kids. Here's going to be the, the extent of their rebellion. I don't agree. Okay, great, but we're still doing it. That's it. Well, they, what if they want to leave? Okay, they can leave. What if they go to hell? Okay, then they go to hell. You see, I'm not living in a world where I have to force them to do it. 
The extent of their rebellion is if they don't agree, that's up to them. I'm taking as many of my kids that want to go to heaven with me. So don't tell me, well, my house is going to be a mess because your house was a mess and this, this, and that. No. Like I told you before, the greatest gift my mom gave me was the gift of goodbye at 16. Get out the house then if you're done. If you don't want to listen anymore, get out the house. You're done, go. You see, because loyalty doesn't come through manipulation and forcing people to do things. People have said to us, well, if you don't want to manipulate us, why are you talking to me? Because I thought we were friends. Do you know that we have exit interviews when people leave the church? Because we want to learn from them. Some people don't say it in the exit interview. They say it on Facebook. Somebody say stupid is as stupid does. Come on, say it again. Stupid is as stupid does. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, I think I know who you're talking about. I'm glad you know who I'm talking about. This is not the kind of church that doesn't treat business like a family. I am not a professional, and I am not a politician. I am a pastor by God's grace. Amen? I said I'm a pastor. And so this is how I want you to understand this church and what we do here. It's a place of family. And I want everybody to be honest with me. Do you want to be here? Then if you want to, stay here. Be honest, okay? If you don't, go to another church and do their thing. Sometimes I tease my friends or the people that leave. I see them going to a church over here. I say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go leave Metro and go become a pastor over there so I can pastor you there too. <laughs> Wouldn't that just mess with them? Hey, we got a new associate pastor here today. Joe Wairazi, come on up. He's going to be doing the campus work here for us. Gotcha. <laughs> you thought you could run, but I'm back again. <laughs> you know, Just mess with Here I am. I'm your associate pastor. What you going to do now? No, I'm just teasing. But you know what? Here's what I think. Here's what I think. I'm just being honest with you. What I've had to learn is what I've dealt with the most. And that is I'm not always trusting either. I'm not always open to relationships either. I'm not always open to working it through either. But I've had to learn that. One of the exit interviews, his sister was telling us she was going back to Brazil. And she said, you know what? I don't like the children's ministry here. And I said, man, that's great to hear because I never heard that from anybody. Everybody, always, everybody tells me, I love it, I love it, I love it. Okay, so what don't you like about it? Because it's almost like they're leaving. So I'm going to tell you everything for real now and then as I leave, you know, take the flame back to Brazil. And I'm like, cool, tell me what you don't like about it. I want to know. She's like, well, first of all, I'm a single lady and I have to keep working with the kids. I don't even feel called to that. And I'm like, that makes sense. And I know there was somebody else that testified about that last week. But you know what? I said, you know, that makes sense. You, you don't even have any kids. Why should you have to do that? It's not like we take single dudes and say you have to go work with kids, you know? And then we listened to her. And then you know what we said? We said, parents, if you guys want to have children's ministry, it's only going to be on a volunteer basis now. And look at all the children here. No parent has volunteered to start that thing back up. Look at it. Every now and then, there'll be a sister, God bless her. She'll come and she'll be like, I think we need a children's ministry. I want to like drop off my kids, Sunday school. That's how I grew up. And then we look at them. We're like, great, start it. I don't know. Because they can't find anybody now. Because they realize like, hey, if I need someone to watch my kids and it not be me, I got to convince them to do that. Well, how do you convince somebody to do that? You got to like find a way to do it. Like, well, well, I'll watch your kids. And so they've tried to do co-ops every now and then. But then after a while in a place like our church, they're like, we're done. Do you know that my one friend's church has four services and the same staff goes to every single service? 
You want to talk about somebody getting burned out. I don't even know if I want to go to my own church four times. Now, if I had to do it because we were growing or something, I mean, I get it. But I'm not preaching the same sermon, the same suit, the same way. Are you listening? Like, I got to do something different. But they got the whole staff coming. I remember asking some of them, like, do you like it? And their eyes twitching. They look like an all stressed out cat. I kind of do. I kind of do. Like, no, you don't like this. You do it because you have to. If someone gave you a choice, you'd be the first one done here. See, but that's their family, though, right? They stick with that. They stick with that. My parents, this is another story here. My parents were a part of the church, and you know what they did for anniversary? You want to know what they did? My, it blew my parents' mind. They couldn't understand it. For anniversary, they called in all these other churches with their guest speakers and guest choirs and would have a big service. And you want to know what the church members would do? would serve the meal to all the guests. Happy anniversary. Imagine that. It's your anniversary. You bring over a bunch of people to your house and you feed them. That's fun for somebody, but that wouldn't be fun for me. Are you all listening to me? How is that an anniversary for your people? Here, here's your anniversary gift. Serve everybody now. You know what I said to Lawrence with this uh, new man thing? He was trying to get Zonti and all of that. I said, why don't you use that same money just to give away stuff to our kids and our people? Why does Zonti need another place to be on New Year's Eve or something? That's just the way I think. Now, if you see Zonti here, don't think I'm hating on him, okay? Like, let's spend $1,000 to get Zonti here. Why, why not give out a shirt to everybody? Why not do something for all the people who've been amazing this last year? Are you all listening to me? But you see, if you're not thinking family, it doesn't come natural. And I know Lawrence, he's starting to think family, right? Because otherwise, it's like, yeah, here comes Zonti. Hey, uh, uh, Kansas, you're my favorite place. I, oh, I mean, Chicago. Chicago, you're my favorite. I'm like, okay, why do we do this stuff? You know, we have to get to the point where we understand that what God's building in the house is worth our time and attention. And so going back to that scripture, he says he sets the lonely in families. I feel like I understand that because I've been lonely. And so if you're here today, I'm not necessarily saying this is your family. I'm just saying find a family and stick with it. That's why if you look around at the church and you hear people telling stories about what churches they come from, I won't mention them here right now, but there's about three or four churches in our area that I never get visitors from. You know why? Because they're good churches. Most people, they know that's a good church, and I don't get a lot of their leaves. I don't get their elders. I don't get their deacons struggling, coming on in, because they're growing. They're doing good things. I want you to pick a church that you can grow with and stick around for a while, because in that place, you're going to find safety, because what is it like out there? The rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And let me just share this last testimony here to encourage some of you. When I look at the life of the pastors who continually switch churches and the members who switch churches with them, and I look at how they live, they live in a sun-scorched land. One of my favorite preachers in this city, I haven't had him preach here for a while because his house is not in order. He may even be listening to me now because I know he always checks in on me. And the last time I had to get involved was one of the uh, situations with his wife was with another man, and I knew the man, and I had to come in and try to fix the situation. His house was all out of order but he's one of my favorite preachers in the city. But if you follow him, it's one ministry here, one ministry over there, one thing over here, one thing over there, and it's sun-scorched. It's sun-scorched. You don't see the good fruit. And it's the same thing when I look at my parents' friends. 
that went from the vineyard to first assembly to go help start this church over here to, to over there. I look at their lives and I look at their children and it's sun scorched. And I go around and I look at this city because I've been around here for a while. I've lived here now longer than I've lived in any place. I've lived here now over 18 years and 18 years was the longest I lived in Fort Wayne and if you know, you minus some of the months I have moved away and different things. So I've lived here now more than any one place. And I could look around to the people that I've met, people that were a part of this church when we first started off. Oh, but they got offended by this thing over here or this thing bothered them over there. And then now I look at their life still busted and disgusted. We were sharing our building one time with a Spanish church, and uh, the wife got offended with Susie, so they broke off from us, and they took all of our Spanish members that we sewed into that church because we weren't doing a Spanish service. So I'm losing good members now because of that. The woman just came to our, our outreach here this last Wednesday and says one of her sons now was arrested and was a gangbanger. How did that work for you? You know, and I'm not saying everybody who stays in church gets their life right, but that church eventually shut down. Whatever happened to her son... You know, had another youngster come around, uh, another mom come around and say, oh, I remember you. Uh, my kids used to come here. Now him and his friends are arrested. Some are dead. They're in jail. But why did you stop coming? You could ask them, you know, why did you stop coming? Well, Joe said this or my friend said this about that church and this, this, and that. And you look at their life, sun scorched. You need to find a place to belong and be a part of what God is doing and stick with it and then when you do that, you'll be a part of that family. And then you now can reciprocate that into other people's lives. Because if we're going to put, you know, a, you know, 100, a 50 churches here and 500 around the world, we need people that are going to be around when the weather gets bad. You don't just want fair weather friends. You don't want fair men, weather life group leaders or fair weather uh, life group attendees. I've seen leaders quit their life group because their members don't show up anymore. Oh, no one shows up, so I'm done. Well, is that what God did? When no one listened to him, did he just walk off and quit? And then I've seen people say, well, my life group leader quit. That's why I don't come to your church anymore. So I've seen life group leaders quit because the people didn't do the right thing with them. They thought they were going to be everybody's favorite, everybody's buddy. You always can see this, by the way, when we start new life groups. People get this idea, well, I've got a lot of friends, so they're going to all come. No, they won't. I've had even people tell me, well, you know, Pastor, I'm thinking about starting a church because my family's in Miami. I want to go to Miami and start a Metro Praise. Brother, your family in Chicago don't even come. <laughs> How do you think your family in Miami is going to come? Well, I started with my family in Miami. Why don't you start a Bible study with your family in Chicago? Right? But that's what people think. And so the moment it happens, boom, I'm done. I quit. I remember working in the inner city when I first started, when Warriors Dream in New Orleans, and I remember just watching all the people quit on us. Oh, I thought when I talked to the inner city kids, they were just going to be so happy to come to camp. One of my guys got stabbed on his way to camp with a pencil. They took a pencil and stabbed my dude. The dude didn't want to work with me anymore, but thank God he stuck around for a little while because how many know doing ministry gets messy? And some of those young people today are serving God. But it was like, oh, man, you know, well, what if they don't show up? You've got to make a determination. I do this whether they show up or not. You've got to make a determination. I'm called whether they show up or not. I remember starting Bible college with all these students. I was one of the youngest there. These grown people were all there. When I graduated, there was four of us. 
four of us that had graduated. One, they just gave it to them as the, uh, the ones who sit in the class but don't do any of the work. So only three people did the work of the Bible college. You want to talk about like a, a letdown, like, man, what happened to everybody that was here? Well, they gave up. And I remember visiting one of my friends in a trailer park. Nothing against trailer parks, but he was one of my, my friends. He had begun to go to the beach on the weekends to have fun, met some girl out there, started having sex with her, got kicked out, and then got a mobile home, you know, out there in Alabama by the you know, Gulf Shores or something. I went out there to visit him. Honestly, I'm just being honest with you. And I had, you know, had sex for years at that time. And I'm looking at this going, was the sex worth it, dude? You threw away your Bible college. You threw away your ministry. Now you live out here in a trailer park? No thanks, man. I'll wait for it. You get what I'm saying? But you see, people, they're too determined to get their offense to have the priority and their flesh to be the thing they follow instead of the Spirit of God. Every sacrifice that I've ever made, I've reaped what has been a hundredfold that sacrifice. When we were doing the Bible college, we were receiving upwards of $30,000 as a kickback from the school per year because people in this church love to go to Bible college. And anyone wanted to go anywhere else, they could. But I would just tell them, here, we offer SUM. Some went to Moody, and they didn't like it, but those who came, we would get upwards of $30,000. And you know what God said to us? Start our own. Well, that took a great sacrifice, but now we give it away. So when people talk to me, about using people in the ministry and they try to think, well, this church or this pastor does it. I'm like, what have you been smoking? To me, everything ministry in my life, I'm just talking about this guy's life, has been sacrifice. Every time I think I have something, God tells me, now let go of that something. You know what the next something God is telling me about? You saw those pictures in the Philippines? God is telling me, get ready to start going there a bunch. You want to move in my house while I go live in one of those huts with those tin roofs? I'm going to try to find something a little bit better than that. But And God told me, hey, when I, when, I, when I tell you to go, Joe, you got to go. That doesn't mean I won't be here pastoring. But when I was talking to Pastor Ray, he said, I feel God's calling you out here. And I said, I know. And then Tisa and Jean, they're called out there. That's, I mean, that's not a coincidence. They were once in Africa. Now of all the places they chose to be, my closest friends in ministry from way back in Bible college days is also in the Philippines. And then Pastor Ray says, we need you because we got a lot of churches that we're starting here. But it's not yet. You see what I'm saying? But I got to be loyal to my family. I don't just run away to the Philippines and let you all chill here in Chicago. I have to plan out what God's going to have me do. When am I going to go? What months do I go? And you better believe I'm going during January and February in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, Lord, send me to the Philippines in January and February, Jesus. One last thing, just because I have testimonies. I know it's encouraging somebody. I had a dream once. There was a man, let me tell a quick story here. So we got this building. It was a storefront that used to be a, a restaurant. Then they built the walls to make it separate, and then they tore them down. But that second one was still left up. So where we walked there, they had left that wall up when I had gotten it. So it had been one thing, then a bunch of things, and then partial, okay? Well, so we get this. We had just, just what you see here was the church, okay? And uh, we felt like we had to grow, and God was doing some good things, and some people had given some monies to the church. So I made a bad move. We went to Irving. You guys have heard that story before. Well, when we left Irving, my friend took over this church. 
My friend then tore down that wall, opened it up, tore off the ceilings. That used to be those nasty white tiles. Anybody ever seen those? They're usually water stained and all of that. My friend tears off the tiles, spray paints the ceiling black, makes the place look amazing, builds that wall, puts that sound booth there, and I'm like, I done messed up. I'm paying like five times the amount to be on Irving, and it doesn't even look as cool as this. It was a little bigger. It had some offices, right? Now watch this. He's built this out, and he's coming from a church that is supporting him. That's a big church in the area, right? So all of that is happening. I have a dream. I have a dream where I give this guy from Metro Praise, as we're struggling over there watching this blow up, where I give him two months of rent. A dream. Now, how many know that's not the devil? The devil's not going to have you dream about giving away some thousands of dollars, okay? I totally ignore that dream. Just to be honest with you, I totally ignore it. I'm talking to my wife. We're at an Italian restaurant, and I just share with her. I'm like, man, I had this dream about so-and-so, and and, uh, I think I should do it. And she's like, okay, well, why don't you let him know right now? Remember this, Nancy? I text him. He calls me up. You know what he's doing? He's in an all-church prayer meeting praying for the finances because if they don't get it that day, the church has to shut down. They haven't even launched yet. They built everything. They spent all their money building this nice place out, setting it up, and they literally don't have that month's rent. He said, praise God. And you know what I told him? How, how many months did I have in the dream to give him? You know what I said? I said, brother, I got a month's rent for you. One. Seriously. This is how stubborn I was. One month's rent. Because I'm like, God, we're struggling here. We don't have the monies. There's no way you would tell me to do that. And yet, I give him one month's rent. I can't be at peace in my heart. I give him another call a few days later. I said, brother, man, I wasn't honest with you, man. It wasn't supposed to be one month's rent. It was supposed to be two months' rent. Can I send you these other thousands of dollars? Like thousands of dollars. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, and you know what? He said, God told me that too. Can you believe that? God told that man I was going to give him money. I'm going to be careful to check you guys if you come up to me. Hey, Pastor, God told me that you were supposed to give me not just one month, but, you know. But you know what that showed me at that moment? Is that God doesn't look at situations the way I do. God doesn't look at the situations the way I do. Because how would I have looked at that situation? That's not my church. That's not my responsibility. I'm struggling over here. But how did God look at it? We're family. We're family. I'm tapping on your shoulder to take care of this brother right here. Well, long story short, when everything fell apart at Irving Park, guess who got to walk right into a building? That was the nicest building that I had ever seen made out of a storefront. We did. We walked right into what they had spent thousands of dollars, way more than I'd ever paid for the rent, to renovate this, to build those walls back there, to set up this trim. I mean, the entire thing, man, the the faux wall that's before the windows. We used to have, like, those purple curtains right there, like church curtains, you know what I'm saying? Seriously, man. I mean, all of that, just here you go. Because what was God saying? God was saying, we're all family. You're giving to your brother. And now he didn't even have to give it back to me that way, but just to put the cherry on top to show me it's not about me. He goes, and here's the building. Now just take the building. You see, that's how God thinks about us. God sees us that way, but we don't. We see ourselves in competition with each other. We see ourselves needing to be offended towards each other, betraying each other. And God says, no, I don't play favorites like that. Whoever obeys, I favor them. 
That's how it works. It's not favorites based on the size or the, or the camaraderie that you have with others, like, a, um, you know, like it's by popular vote. No, God favors those who favor his cause. And so in this next season, do you want God to put you in a family? If you do, then listen to what he says to you. Watch what he does and be there for the long haul because I'll guarantee you this, instructors aren't as good as fathers. And being together in God's, in God's house is not, it's incomparable to the sun scorched world that's out there. I would rather have this church and any issue I've ever had in a million years than to go back out there and be in the world. Maybe one, can somebody say one more? One last one. When I was working for the Bible college, I had the opportunity to run two jobs and get paid both places. And both of them were going to pay me very well. The church was just starting to pay me well, and that's been what I've been getting paid. Amazing. I live off that now. But the other place was basically going to match what I get paid here. So I was going to make two salaries. All I had to do was travel during the week. I could be home during the weekends. And uh, it was fair. I mean, that's what I would earn. That's, that's a good pay. So I was doing it for the first couple of weeks. And I then noticed at that time that my children were growing up. You know, I just noticed it. Like, wow, they're growing up fast. Like, look at how fast they change. And I see some older folks here. They grow up fast, don't they? And those of you who aren't so old, but you have older kids than me, you know what I'm talking about. Des being a grandma. Where's Des? Does she already leave? Yeah, there you are. Grandma Des. They grow up fast. Kayla grows up, right? And I looked at my children, and this is what God told me. He said, you can have this X amount of money, or you can have the memories of being at home with your kids. God gave me a choice. I did not hear the Lord say, don't do it. I did not, God didn't speak to me like that. I had a choice. You can have the money or you can have these memories with your kids. And I'm not saying this against everybody that travels like this, but some of the people that I look up to the most have had the hardest times with their families while they've been in I'm not saying all, but I'm saying a lot. One of my favorite preachers right now, I'm not even going to mention his name. If you know who it is, pray for him. Started one of the fastest growing churches in Orlando, lost his wife in the first year of the ministry. It wasn't even his fault. It's just, it happened. He wasn't home and things were happening and she did what she did. And I'm not saying it would necessarily change if he would have been there, but I'm just telling you, it was easier if he wasn't. Are you listening? And so now, yeah, I took a pay cut, but I would rather have my family right? Now, if you can do both, that's awesome. And maybe there's some people that could have done what I was doing, but I couldn't. God told me that's my family. And so now when you see me hanging out with my kids and all six of them and not leaving them home with Nancy and we work together from the house, I chose that. Because when they get older, I want them to remember, dad put the family first here in this house. We went to church, we understood the Bible, but dad understood family too. Amen? I don't want my kids growing up or my wife saying, well, you were doing that all over there, but you weren't taking care of what you had over here. So men, you better be careful with that. And women here as well, when you get those opportunities to do more in life, to make more money, ask what is the cost? Because families aren't something you compromise on. Families aren't something that you just throw to the wind whenever it's convenient for you and expect to come back and everything be the same. And it's the same thing, and I don't say this against anybody. There's always people coming in and out of the church, so I'm not just talking about one of you. But there's people who come, then they leave, then they come, and then they leave. And then you look around at those who stayed, and then they're in different places than you. The reason why is because God is blessing the planted vine. 
and he's blessing them. Where I am, I'm happy you're back, but you have to understand there was a price that you paid when you were out there. You lost two years of family. You lost two years of stability. You lost two years of somebody guarding you and protecting you. That's why you don't have your mind right with sexuality. That's why you're not ready to get married. That's why your career path hasn't been established. And that could even be for somebody that has a lot of money. I'm just saying you don't have it right. You don't have it. You're missing that piece of your life. It's because God's family hasn't been your priority. Amen? So, brothers and sisters, I'm thankful for you. I need you just as much as you need me as we all need Jesus together. You make the church, and I make the church together. There's not one thing happening here up on the pulpit that doesn't happen in the pew, but we have to stick together with each other, not for sin, not for any of that. Please don't hear that today, but we have to stick with each other to grow in our lives and our families. And let me just say this. I got one more. I guess I'm a preacher that's lying today. Lord, forgive me. My wife said to me, she said, well, because I have a child that's being worked on. God, God is touching her heart. Is she sitting next to you, Nancy? Okay, get her. Get her back up here, please. I'm going to have you pray for my daughter, Hannah. Amen. Are we going to pray for Hannah? We uh, have been having challenges with Hannah, and one of the things that came up was, what do you do with convention? And we, we said, well, if I can't trust her, because she's pretty wild, I don't want her to get in trouble at convention. Well, then the time for us to go on vacation just came up and the kids want to stay back. These two, my oldest, want to stay back and go to youth group and then one's already, Bethany, going to convention. Come sit next to your mom, please, as I share this. I'm not going to put her on the spot. Just pray for church kids. Amen. How many have heard me say that before? Okay. And so I said, well, I want her to be at convention even though I have already said she's not going to convention. And then Nancy said, well, you got to run that by Catherine. And this is what my wife said. God is my witness. Or you can pull the pastor card, which is pastor says, right? I mean, I'm in charge, aren't I? I said, am I in charge? I mean, there's a final vote, and I have to be a part of that. But do I want to use the pastor card? Is that the time I stand up? The last time I used the pastor card was during COVID. We will open. I took a vote at first, and the vote was stay closed. And I said, no, we're opening Okay, because God rebuked me after that. So just get it, get it right. This is not a democracy. God speaks through leadership, but it's not a democracy, and there needs to be accountability for that leadership. Okay, so I'm just telling you how it works. And I said, I would never do that. Well, long story short, I just still don't know the answer. We don't have to hear it right now. But when I had told Catherine this, Catherine said, it's so refreshing that even you as a pastor would trust my decision for your own daughter. And I said, listen, I told my wife this. I said, I don't know any other way. I said, I fear God. I fear God. If I go against you in my daughter's life, then that means I'm cutting off a voice that God has to give her wisdom. And then it just hit me. And I'm just telling you this. I'm just telling you. It just hit me. How many people in our church don't even have a pastor card? Disrespect my youth leaders. Because they don't fear God. I don't care what you call it. It's not fearing God. I would rather say I disagreed with it, Hannah, but I stood with it. And for her to know that I honor other men and women of God than to go over a man or woman of God placed in that family, placed in that leadership in her life, 
to just try to get my way. I will never do that. Not only will I not do that in this situation, I, I want you to hear my heart. I'll never do that because I believe families are here for a reason. That's why when Berto and Griselda have counseled you, you've heard thus says the Lord unless they started smoking crack, selling their body for tricks on Belmont and Clark. Have they gone to tricking? They still loving Jesus? You better listen to that advice because I take it that serious. If you're 101 leader, even if you're here and it's a deacon, well, sometimes they get off, Pastor. I get it. But as long as they're not asking to hurt yourself, hurt others, going to false doctrine, trust it for that time because God even used Saul in David's life. I don't agree with using that forever. Well, submit, submit, submit. No, I'm not telling you that for, you know, because then you could get yourself in some dangerous situations. But I'm saying, like, while you're figuring it out and there's no red flag that you can, you can see and point to because, you know, you didn't really see what was going on in Saul's life. Trust the Lord, because he'll take care of Saul. Amen? And then what you'll see over time is that the spirit of David prevails. And I'll do this real quick in closing. As band and altar workers come, if anybody has ever struggled with, fam struggled with family and church, I'll give you the book that I give pastors when they get hurt and they got to start over. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. Metro Praise will buy anybody that book that wants it. Talk to Lauren or one of our leaders or email us. Because in every situation in a family, you always have a choice. Are you going to act like a Saul? How, how many have ever heard of the book, Tale of Three Kings? Anybody? Okay, a few of my leaders or one leader here. Okay. Well, if you've ever been hurt in church, we'll buy that book for you. Tale of Three Kings. Saul was power hungry and couldn't recognize the anointing of David. Don't be like Saul. Absalom was David's son and was jealous of his father because his father wouldn't give him enough quick enough and he tried to steal the kingdom from him. That's rebellion. Don't be like that. Be like David who served even when people took advantage of him with Saul and loved his son Absalom even though he went against him. You guys get that? So in church, you may have people over you that want to take advantage of you. Ask God for the grace to be under that. When I was working for the Bible college, there was people I didn't agree with, and I had to serve with them until the Lord released me, okay? I've worked with people here, even some of my leaders that I've seen over time, like when we lost some of those people during the BLM, I already had checks about them, but I couldn't put them out. God had to deal with them. Amen? I said amen. God has to deal with, let God take care of, I don't want to be a Saul. And then at the same time, I don't want to be an Absalom. I never want to fight and try to take something that's not been given to me by God. Absalom was meant to be the Solomon, but he didn't want to do it right. And so he lost his inheritance. There are people who have started churches outside of our church that were trained here, but they don't have the inheritance. They're a cheap imitation. Anybody ever see coming to America? They're a McDowell's. They're not a McDonald's. Don't, don't, don't go to McDowell's. Go to McDonald's. Amen. But they try to look like us. They try to smell like us. And by God's grace, I hope they make it to heaven. But get the McDonald blessing. Don't get a McDowell blessing. Amen? Don't get that dollar store anointing. Get the real one because that's what will keep you as time goes on. Father, we thank you for this service today. We thank you that we got to discuss some family business. That the church got to pray for us and now I get to pray for them. If you're here today and you yet don't know Jesus or you're not serving him, would you repent of your sins right now and ask him into your heart? I know this is probably a very strange service to attend, 
but this was something that shows you our heart. So we'll pray with you now. If you don't know Jesus, take some time on your own. Then you can come up in just a bit. But those who already know Jesus, are you right with your family? Start right there, husbands and wives, parents with their children. Ask the Lord to be the God of your family. Ask for God to raise up loyalty in your house. Husbands with wives to be loyal to one another. Children being loyal to their parents. Parents being loyal to their their children right now. And then those who have been called to this church begin to ask God to plant you here, to grow, to be fruitful, to prosper. For those that are still in a place of decision, ask the Lord to lead you or to guide you so that you can be a fruitful vineyard planted in the kingdom of God. Because one day this king is coming back to rule and reign with his church. And we better show that we've been practicing that that kingdom before he comes here on earth as it is in heaven. Anybody here has been church hurt? We pray for the hurts of the past to be healed. Anybody that's used and abused you who hasn't cared for you, even in your family life, if you've come here today abused from your, your, your earthly family, We'll pray with you in just a few moments. Even now, if you want to come, you can. But we're going to close out officially in just a few minutes. Would you right now forgive and let God heal your heart? As they say, there's no perfect church, and if there was one, you would make it imperfect the moment you came. But listen, there are churches that fit you perfectly, that, you're, that you belong there, that that's where God wants you, and let him plant you and grow you. And I pray for every life group here, All the life group leaders, can you stand up before we have everybody else? If you're next to somebody standing up that's a life group leader, can you place your hand on them or just stretch your hands towards them? We pray for life group leaders to be blessed and prosperous. I guess most of my life group leaders are altar workers, but hallelujah. Lord, bless these life group leaders who open up their home to give a sense of family everywhere they go. They invite their neighbors over. They invite people over from the gas station. They take a step of faith, Lord. I pray that you open up their, their lives and bless them, O oh Lord. Open up their hearts to have love to give, to heal, to be a family to so many that need it right now in this, this generation. Bless these life group leaders. Bless our disciplers. And now the rest of us, would you stand up and just raise up your hands to heaven with us, please, and just say, Lord, bless me to be a blessing in the family of God. Bless me, O oh Lord, to be a blessing. Pour out your spirit on us. Give us a fresh anointing for revival. They will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. We pray for a unity that the devil can't break. We pray for Dallas. We pray for Miami. We pray for the Philippines. We pray for the places right now that you've sent us out to go. And we pray for an awakening to come. We pray for our students in their high schools for these clubs to get started. We pray for the neighborhoods where these life groups are at to be set on fire. Lord, you set the lonely in family. Lord, all those stories that you had me tell just can be summarizing that. You set the lonely in families. Lord, set us in families today. Family unity that cannot be broken. Would you lead us in worship as we get ready to go? Thank you for your patience, folks. What a special day today. We're going to close in worship. Father, we ask you to bless those who have to go now as we're dismissed. Be with us this week as we leave here, but never your presence. May we grow closer to you and to others. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you. God bless you. I know you appreciate me and I appreciate you today.
Have a wonderful week. We'll see you at Life Groups. Feel free to worship and pray. Come on up. Hallelujah. We worship you. We worship you. We adore you.